0: Welcome to the 23rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the first half of the NBA season, and reviewing the NCAA tournament bubble after a full weekend of games and the end of college basketball's regular season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We'll start in college basketball. Uh, Number 23, Purdue, beat Indiana 67-58. Patrick incorrectly picked Indiana. Number 17, Oklahoma State, beat number 6, West Virginia, 85-80. Patrick incorrectly picked West Virginia. Number 4, Illinois, beat number 7, Ohio State, 73-68, with Patrick correctly picking Illinois. And in another matchup of Big Ten ranked teams, number 5, Iowa beat number 25, Wisconsin, 77-73. Patrick correctly picked Iowa, meaning he went 2-2, in NCAA basketball predictions this week, and I said we would start with college basketball, but we're going to end with college basketball, as the NBA All-Star break meant there were no predictions for the NBA this week. So Patrick was 2-2 two two overall in his weekend predictions, which brings him to 72-37 and 37 on the season, a six sixty-one overall winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your four college basketball predictions from last weekend.
1: Uh, There were a lot of overall storylines. I think actually the one that had the least storylines, surprisingly enough, was probably Illinois against Ohio State, I think. Most people expected Illinois to win the game, but to win it very close, and that's exactly what happened. Ayo Donsumu did just enough. He hit the game-winning field goal. I think this is exactly what we expect out of Illinois at this point. Uh, In the other games, I think the big news was Oklahoma State gets a win without Cade Cunningham on the road with West Virginia having the chance to get Bob Huggins 900th win so no lack of motivation there for the Mountaineers that's a that's a great win on their resume that they can really that that the committee might actually even take in to put them up as as high as a top level 4 seed maybe even a 3 seed considering that if that's what they're doing without their star player now let's look at some of their wins with him that that's a really big resume builder. and uh, Purdue, I mean, look, I didn't think Indiana would ever lose eight in a row to Purdue. It's just it's just insane. And I also thought that at twelve and thirteen with basically the season on the line, uh, they would be able to pull out a victory in this rivalry. And I mean, they played okay on defense, held them under, under held Purdue under 70, but they couldn't even score 60 themselves. Indiana's very offensively challenged, but I did not think they were this offensively challenged. Uh, and maybe the biggest story of them all, Iowa, Joe Wieskamp s- scores 12 points and goes 5-for-5 five five shooting, but leaves the game very, very early, and that was a big deal for them. Probably was the sole factor that let Wisconsin back into the game that Iowa didn't have their most reliable shot maker, and that could be a big thing uh, coming down for the rest of the season, too. All
0: right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Be sure to check them out at 4 and 24com With the NBA All-Star Game happening this weekend, we figured we'd do a little twist on things. Our usual uh, look back at the last week of the NBA season gets replaced with a look back at the first portion, first half, not necessarily. They're exactly. calling
1: it the first half, so we'll we'll call it that too. <laughs> All right,
0: the first half of the NBA season, and again, with a little twist, uh, we're going to go instead of a top three and bottom three list, uh, we're going to go with five most impressive teams and five most disappointing teams of the first half of the NBA season. So Patrick, let's start with Who's your most impressive team of the first half of the NBA season?
1: I mean, I think this one's pretty obvious. Who in the world could have told you that at the All-Star break of this year, A, that there A would be an All-Star game, but B, that the Utah Jazz would be at the top of not only the Western Conference, but the entire NBA? I don't think anybody could have predicted this. They're three games up on the 76ers for the best record in the league. Uh, It's just purely insane what the Jazz are doing. This is what... Actually, if anybody knows me, I, I I famously commented during school one day last year that I thought the Jazz would get the one seed in the West last year because they added Mike Conley and because LeBron teams typically don't get one seeds but just win the finals anyway. Uh, <laughs> and instead, the Lakers decided to bring it the whole season. But this year, I guess they're fulfilling that prophecy that I brought up because I think everybody would still say that the Lakers are still in title contention but the Jazz still have the number one overall record. So there you go. Maybe I predicted it a year ahead, but who cares? I predicted it.
0: (laughs) All right, let's move to your second most impressive team.
1: Got to be back in the West again, the Phoenix Suns. I think most people expected after that bubble performance that adding Chris Paul would say, okay, they had a nice eight-game stretch to get to the 10th seed or the 9th seed or to the 10th seed, but didn't do enough to, A, get into the 9th seed or the 8th seed. And also adding Chris Paul, that brings you up a few slots in the West, but not all the way up to the top. Well, we were all wrong about that. They're currently sitting in, I think, third place, maybe even second. Uh, that is astonishing for the Suns. Such a young roster. Devin Booker, I mean, can't really call him young anymore. He's been out of college for a lot longer than I think he has been. <laughs> but I think everybody same same thing. But you know what? Still hasn't still only been an All Star once, and only as a replacement, and technically didn't even play in the game. Uh, DeAndre Ayton still only a few years out from being the number one pick overall, but Chris Paul has really been the glue, like the super glue. He's not a glue guy. He's, he's better than a glue guy, but he's really brought this team together and made it what it, it needs to be, uh, his passing, his leadership, it's really evident on the court and you can see that he is building out his hall of fame case by leading many different teams way above their expectations.
0: All right, we had two teams in the West. Let's move to the third team who's in the East.
1: It's got to be the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I couldn't put them at number one because the Suns and the Jazz having a better record just means, I mean, they, they weren't supposed to have a better record than the Sixers. So, of course, I'm going to put the Sixers under them. But I would say heading into the year, I would probably put this team at third in the East behind the Bucks and the Nets, maybe above the Nets, maybe just a little bit. But... I think that the fact that they are in first in the entire Eastern Conference is definitely very, very impressive. Joel Embiid has really stepped up his play, and maybe the Clippers shouldn't have fired Doc Rivers.
0: Yeah, Doc can coach. 76ers checking in with a 24-12 and record right now. Just a half game back of the Suns, who were 24-11. and Let's move to your number four most impressive team in the NBA.
1: This one's a little bit of a surprise, but I think the team overall has been surprising. It's the San Antonio Spurs. I mean... They played not very well in the bubble last year, got, as I said, the Suns got to the 10 seed, they, the Spurs were behind at, I think, the 12 seed, but they are somehow 18 and 14, they're ahead of the Mavericks and the Warriors, I bet if you, I bet if you never looked at, look at the NBA standings, you would probably say, what are you talking about, there's no way, the Mavericks have been playing fine, they've been beating good teams, Luca's playing amazing, the Warriors are fine, Steph's playing amazing, three-point contest champion, yada yada yada. But look, the Spurs are in the playoff picture, and I'm pretty sure nobody thought that they would be in it at all, unless you're talking about the 7-10 play-in game. When you look at how deep the West is, this this team really, if you look at their talent level on paper, shouldn't be number seven in the West. And talk about good coaching. I mean, it's Greg Popovich.
0: Well, let's move to a team, your number five team, that hasn't been known for good coaching. Uh, who's your fifth most surprising team in the NBA?
1: It's the New York Knicks. They're above 500 at the All Star break for the first time since the 20 to 2012 2013 season. Since they actually had Carmelo Anthony like a few years out from the time he left, that it's it's crazy that this team is this young. Uh, people criticize them for who they took with the seventh overall pick with Obi Toppin, but Emmanuel quickly might is is a Rookie of the Year candidate that they got late in the first round. So clearly they knew what they were doing when, when they were drafting, uh, though you could still probably criticize them for passing up on Tyrese Halliburton because he's higher up than Emmanuel quickly, but everybody passed up on Halliburton, not the Knicks' fault. And look, above five hundred for this team that was supposed to be in the Zion sweepstakes two years ago, is a very good result. And I think the Knicks are I think the Knicks can be very happy with this, especially considering how bad the East is record-wise at at seeding being above 500 here is like easily in the playoffs at this point. It's the five seed, so Knicks fans got to be happy with what they're seeing. I don't think they should be expecting to beat the Bucks or anything in the first round. If the if the Bucks are four, if the Knicks are six, and the Bucks are uh, are the three seed, I don't think they should be expecting that. But I think a playoff berth will be enough for Knicks fans.
0: All right. Well, you mentioned the Knicks fans should be happy. Uh, what fan bases should be? Uh, Angry, let's start with the number one fan base that should be angry based on your most disappointing team.
1: Yeah, it's got to be Houston I I think you brought up fan bases perfectly, you know, they did not boo James Harden to at least it didn't seem like it um, for the most part but they are second to last in the West and we know they shouldn't be because If you trade a star you you should get back enough to build out a team that can at least not be second to last in the conference I think everybody after, I mean, the Rockets did have a streak there where, I mean, I put them as my most impressive team of the week. They, I think, went 6-1 and one in seven games, and then Christian Wood got injured, and it's been kind of downhill ever since. Uh, when when James Harden was still on this team, it wasn't going well either. It really just has been an awful year for Houston, even though we had such high expectations for them coming into the year, and we thought maybe even switching Westbrook for Wall was something that could that could keep Harden in there. So I think we thought that maybe he might stay because of that. Even if he didn't, they get a good enough haul, and they really did. They got Victor Olatipo. so they, they should have they they should have had enough to be competing, but they're not.
0: All right. Well, speaking of Westbrook and Hall, who's your uh, number two most disappointing team?
1: I gave it to the Washington Wizards, uh, 14 and 20. Though I will say the caveat to this team is that they are playing better recently. And they are 6-1 and one against the top, I think it's seven teams in the league, actually. I don't know why, but they can seem to only beat the good teams. But that's kind of a problem because there's a lot of bad teams in the East, so you'd like to beat them more. <laughs> um, look, the Wizards, they rebuilt this core. They they got rid of John Wall, who's been their franchise player for so long, got Russell Westbrook. And Westbrook and Beal have been good, but not good enough to get this team into a positive winning scenario, and they were sitting in the basement of the East for a very long time. They're out of it now, but they, they do need to make the playoffs for me to not call this team a disappointment.
0: Yeah, I think I said Westbrook and Hall, because I couldn't say Westbrook and Wall and the Wizards. It's just too many <laughs> W's in a row. Too many W's in a row. Uh, number three most disappointing team for the first half of the NBA.
1: Toronto Raptors at 17 and 19. Again, Tampa Raptors. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> but below 500, I mean, look at look at a team that's above 500. The New York Knicks. Look, the Raptors should be better than the Knicks, and there's a, there's a team that we'll get to later that also should be much better than the Knicks, but for now, the Raptors, they've had a lot of COVID struggles, but they've also won some games with players out. They should be playing better than this. It is a little disappointing that they're 17-19 and 19 and look like they'll be fighting for a playoff spot in the East.
0: Number four most disappointing team.
1: It's the Atlanta Hawks, 16-20 uh, and 20 so far. They made so many moves in the offseason. They hyped up Trey Young so much all for it to amount to a 4 games under 500 record through 36 games and firing their head coach. Uh they now have Nate McMillan taking over, which I would say is uh, he's a great coach. He I don't know why the Pacers even fired him last year, but they're doing they're doing okay this year, so I guess it makes some sense. Sometimes you just have to make a change. Yeah, I, I guess that's what they were doing, and I guess that's what the Hawks think they're doing too because I think they are just not happy with the fact that the team is not really playing good defense and their their offense was never the problem. So they're playing good offense but bad defense still, and that's not going to win them any playoff games and frankly might not even get them into the playoffs.
0: All right, well, let's wrap up the bad news segment of the podcast with your fifth most disappointing team of the first half in the NBA. It
1: is the Miami Heat. Had they been below 500 by a game, they move all the way up to probably maybe even above the Wizards because this team just went to the NBA Finals last year. Uh, The one thing that's also kind of a caveat to this team is Jimmy Butler missed a considerable amount of games. Uh, They had their own COVID issues, kind of like the Raptors. Again, that's why I don't have these teams higher on this list. But overall, I would say 18 and 18 is not where we expected this team to be at this point of the year. Especially when you tell people that the Knicks are at 19 and 18, you'd say, "Wow, the Heat must be doing really well then too, because the East must have had some kind of a meltdown. Giannis must have torn his ACL or something." Um, so the Heat, pretty disappointing coming off the Finals appearance, to only be at 500.
0: All right, let's move to the MVP of the first half, and we'll also do two runner-ups. I don't know how you want to start. You want to start with the MVP? It's your show. I will... I'll
1: do the runner-ups. The runner-ups are Nikola Jokic and LeBron James. Uh, Nikola Jokic is ninth in points, tied for 6th in assists, and 11th in rebounds. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an MVP that was top 10 in points, rebounds, and assists, like, recently. Uh, He might be able to do that. He's also 6th in steals, and he's 12th in field goal percentage. He's just playing really, really well. One of the... I mean, at the beginning of the season was the only reason why Denver was winning any games... He also has the highest PER in the league and also has 32 double-doubles in 36 games and 9 triple doubles. Very good season so far for Nicola for Nicola, actually. Sorry, he hates when people call him Nicola. Um LeBron, look, everybody's been saying it the whole year, this looks like a year where LeBron's just gonna win the MVP regardless of what ends up happening, just because we we might have disrespected him a little too much last year. I would say arguably his season last year was better. He's 12th in points, 9th in assists this year, and 21st in rebounds. But I will say last year he led the league in assists, and this year, and this year he's down to 7.8 and has more re- rebounds per game than assists. You can tell that LeBron is adapting his game to how his team needs him to play. Without Anthony Davis for so long, he needs to rebound the ball more rather than assist the ball more. And he needs to score a little bit more, so he's a little bit above that average that he's been keeping up recently. So I think that's also, I think that's what LeBron, that's what gives LeBron the MVP value. And also, he's 6 in the league among players with more than 30 games played. In defensive rating, which is one of the things that everybody gets on him for, and says he doesn't play defense hard enough, he's he's playing like an old man on defense, well, there there are no stats to back that up, so there you go.
0: Alright, so those are your runner-ups. Who's your first half MVP in the
1: NBA. It's got to be Joel Embiid. Look, I would have picked somebody from the Jazz if they had one star, but they really have four great players that all complement each other very well. Uh, But Joel Embiid is pretty much carrying the Sixers. He's second in the league in scoring, only second to, I mean, one of the best scorers, Bradley Beal. Uh, He's even ahead of Kevin Durant. Also, Kevin Durant has only played... 15 games, so he's not qualified for any stats leaders anyway. That's also why I don't have him on MVP. He's kind of the fourth guy out, but he hasn't played enough games for me to give it to him. So uh, there's that. Joel Embiid also averaging 11.6 rebounds per game, which is fifth in the league. 1.4 blocks is 13th. He's second only to Nikola Jokic in PER. And he also has 21 double-doubles. And look, his team is the number one seed in the East. This is kind of a situation where I think you have to say, let's give it to the best player on the best team. Although, well, you could say the Jazz are the better team. But I would say their best player does not have the numbers of an MVP. So you got to default to the Sixers instead.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our look back at the first half of the NBA season. So let's move back to college basketball, where we have the regular season of college basketball Reach its conclusion. Conference tournaments are now in full swing, and the NCAA brackets are going to be announced next Sunday. Uh, We figured we should continue our talk about the NCAA tournament bubble, and let's take a look at Patrick's current view of that bubble before we move on to take a look at some important games and conference tournaments impacting teams with a chance to make or fall out of the NCAA tournament. So let's start with the last four buys.
1: Michigan State, Louisville, VCU, Georgia Tech. I would also like to note that Michigan State is as close to a tournament lock as you can be while still being listed on the bubble.
0: Yeah, big win over Michigan really helps solidify their chances. Let's move to the last four in.
1: Colorado State, Xavier, Boise State, and Drake, who is really the team that a, a win or two from, from a team on the wrong side of the bubble currently They get jumped because their season is over. They have played the end of their conference tournament. They lost in the finals. No automatic bid for them.
0: Lost to Loyola Chicago. Yep. All right, and then let's go to your first four teams out of the tournament, or as we're calling it, the COVID waiting list.
1: (laughs) Utah State, St. Louis, who also is done with their season, although there's a little asterisk to that. Uh, Syracuse and Seton Hall. The asterisk I mentioned to St. Louis is that their coach has said that they are actively looking for games. Uh, yeah, which apparently I guess you can do. I see your surprise reaction. That's why I said yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how they're allowed to do that, but I think it's still within the scheduling range, and it's still before Sunday. It's technically legal to schedule games, and I think...
0: Maybe they should play Drake.
1: Well, people suggested that's a possibility. I don't know if Drake wants to do that, because technically they probably see themselves on the right side of it. Uh, also people suggested Davidson, who currently has the highest net ranking that is done with the conference tournament and is in the same conference as St. Louis, but we should probably move on to the next four out instead. All right, let's go
0: with it finally with the next four teams out.
1: Memphis, SMU, St. John's, Ole Miss, American Athletic Conference, well represented two of those teams, but unfortunately not represented in the right place because they would like to be in the tournament.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of the American Athletic Conference, uh, let's take a look at the conference championships starting with the American Athletic Conference, with a focus on those teams that are uh, either in the tournament right now in your predictions or have a chance to fall in or fall out of the tournament. So uh, in the AAC, let's talk about Wichita State, SMU, and Memphis.
1: These three teams are all on the bubble. Uh, The reason why you didn't hear Wichita State's name in any of those 16 is because they won the regular season. So you have to say that the one seed is the auto bid, whether we think or not that Houston is going to just roll over this tournament because they're in the top 10 team in the country. But uh, it's true that Wichita State is leading this conference, but if they were not, I think they would be probably right below Xavier, maybe somewhere in that range. Uh, They're not safe for the tournament. I think they get in if they beat SMU. And as long as Houston is in the final... Uh, they just can't lose to the winner of USF against Temple. That's that's a horrible loss, and that would take them out because they wouldn't be in the auto bid. Uh, but if the final has Houston in it, and it's just another loss to Houston, who they have beaten this season, I think it's fine when you consider that Wichita State's losses aren't bad, and they also have beaten Ole Miss, so they even have another win over a bubble team that can justify their case. On the other end of the bracket, uh, or sorry, on the same end, but on a different mini side of it. I think SMU gets in if they beat Wichita state and if Houston makes the final, but they would need some help from some other teams. Uh, I think one win over Wichita isn't enough to move from the next four out all the way to the last four in. But I think that if you were to have say St. Louis or, or St. Louis, not be able to schedule a game, Syracuse go out early Utah State go out early. I think that would be enough to get them above Seton Hall and Drake, and that would put them in the tournament. So that would be kind of the situation for them. Memphis, I would say they got to beat Houston, who is on their side of the bracket, and Wichita State or SMU would have to beat Memphis. Otherwise, Memphis would be in. Uh, The only problem is That kind of screws the other teams over if Memphis beats Houston because, as I said, I don't think Wichita State or SMU is in the tournament if they lose to anybody but Houston. So, really, you're looking at kind of a trap scenario where there's only two teams from this league that are going to make it. It's going to be Houston and whoever the finals champion is because... Otherwise, it's somebody. It's everybody lost to Houston if Houston wins. So, pretty simple in that in that conference.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, not only needs a few wins for their tournament resume, they just need to play some games to get a rhythm. Ahead yeah, of wins. I mean, only they haven't played only in,
1: fifteen games on the season too. It, it seems
0: like they haven't played in over a
1: month. Yep, yeah, so, haven't played in forever.
0: All right, well, that wraps it up in the AAC. Let's move to the more uh, common, commonly known conference that has an A and a C. And at the ACC, where we've got four teams. Uh, that we're going to talk about, the number 10-seeded Duke Blue Devils, the number 8-seeded Air- Syracuse Orange, number 7-seeded Louisville, and number 4-seeded Georgia Tech. And I do know both teams' nicknames, but I'm speeding things up here.
1: <laughs> uh, Duke, I think, it 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 they need to get into the finals uh, by beating Virginia Tech or North Carolina in the semifinals. Uh, and if there's somebody else, if somehow Notre Dame or Wake Forest pulls... Whoever wins that 11-14 game, if they can beat North Carolina and Virginia Tech, that's not a quality enough win for Duke to have. They would at that point need to win the finals to get the auto bid. And I would say they need some help even if they only get to the finals, Um, especially if Virginia doesn't end up in the finals, which is likely, honestly, uh, if you look at the way they've been playing recently. So Duke is probably going to need help or they just need to win it. Uh, And I don't know that they're going to get that help not from their own conference, not from other conferences. Currently, I have them off the bubble. I yeah, say, so you don't even have them in your so, four out. But I, I think the three the three wins would be, or four wins, actually, to get to the finals would include Boston College. That doesn't matter. But Louisville is a quad one win. Florida State would be a quad one win. And so would Virginia Tech. So that's three extra wins, three extra quad one wins. Very, very, that would be good enough probably with some help. But the problem is I don't know where they're going to get that help from. On the, other, on the same side of the bracket, but... In the next game, I think Louisville is fine as long as they play Duke close or Boston College close. But I, I, I think you know you'd like to they'd like to win that one game, and if they win that one game, they are completely safe because yeah, a loss don't to want Florida to, if State. If Boston
0: College upsets Duke, they don't want to lose. No, that lose, would that that might take Boston them out of the College, tournament. Yeah.
1: That might be bad of bad enough of a loss. But uh, if they if they're able to win that that the first game they play, a loss to Florida State after a win in a conference tournament is not going to do anything to their resume. On the other side, Georgia Tech, pretty much the same situation as Louisville, and actually plays a much better opponent. Most likely, the winner of Clemson against Pitt, uh, the winner of Clemson versus the winner of Pitt versus Miami. Uh, if that's Clemson, Georgia Tech is just in. If they, no matter what, they're they're in as long as that's Clemson. Uh, Syracuse, on the other hand, needs to beat NC State, Virginia, and it's possible. I think. That they're close enough to the tournament that that would be just enough as long as it's Georgia Tech or Clemson in the semifinals and they keep that game close. I think it's 17-9, which is what they would be if they won those two games to get to the semifinals. I think that would be enough to put the Syracuse Orange in.
0: All right, let's move to the Atlantic 10 Conference.
1: Uh, Yeah, in the A-10, there's only one game left. It's just VCU versus St. Bonaventure. We talked about St. Louis. They might be able to reschedule a game. That would be the only chance of this this conference getting three teams. Uh, If VCU wins, I would say VCU moves to a 10 seed, and St. Bonaventure drops to the top of the last four buys, and then Michigan State would move off the bubble uh, just above it because St. Bonaventure would be dropping below them. Uh, If St. Bonaventure wins, I would say VCU moves down probably to the last four in, but depending on how other results shake out, They could end up out of the tournament. That would have to be Syracuse and Seton Hall and Utah State adding on a bunch of wins. But St. Bonaventure possibly maybe even enters the nine-seed line there, but I don't think you want to do that because that would put you at a 50% chance of playing Gonzaga or Baylor in the second round, and I'm pretty sure you'd probably rather play a two-seed than a one-seed in the second round of the tournament.
0: Most definitely. All right, let's move over to the Big East where we've got five teams playing in the conference championship that – have implications for the bubble, or maybe being in or being out. Let's uh, let's start with the number nine Mar- Marquette team, number seven Xavier, number six Providence, number five Seton Hall, number four Saint John. So basically, the fourth seed all the way through the ninth seed, excluding number eight uh, Georgetown, uh, has NCAA tournament implications here.
1: Yeah, I would say all of these teams I would put in the category of. You got to win the conference tournament or you really need like a lot, a lot, a lot of help. Um, I would say Xavier and Providence, the 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 thing with them is that Xavier would be able to beat Creighton and UConn on the way to the final, which wouldn't be very, which would be, those are two considerably good wins. Uh, they are in the tournament. Currently, they're in my last four in, so I think maybe even one win probably is probably enough as long as they're playing UConn in that second round, in the, in the third round that they'd be playing, as long as they pick up two wins and go two and one in this tournament and lose to UConn. I think a win over Creighton is is a signature win that would put them in, which they already have beaten them once, yeah. so beating them again would be a really good thing to add to their resume. Otherwise, I, I they could get in as long as they don't lose to Butler, if they keep the game against Creighton close and they would just need some more help, but you you never want to be relying on other teams to help you make the NCAA tournament. Go out there, win the games, do it yourself. (laughs) Um, Providence on the other hand, they, they would have to, they definitely need to make the final and basically lose on a buzzer beater to Villanova and then get also additional help. So not really much to talk about with them, but they could get three, three quality, two quality wins on the way to the final And then if they were to win the final, obviously, that's the auto bids. They'd get in. Uh, Marquette, same situation as Providence, though. They're on the Villanova side of the bracket, so they would have to go through Villanova. And then the winner of of Seton Hall and St. John's. In that game, that is a very important game on Thursday. I say the loser of that game is out. It's pretty simple. Uh, Seton Hall is four teams out of the tournament. St. John's is seven teams out of the tournament. If you lose... There's no helping from anybody else because all the other teams, even if everybody else loses, if all these 16 teams on the bubble lose, which I'm pretty sure it's also mathematically impossible because some of them are already done with their season anyway, uh, you everybody would stay in the same place. So you would be out of the tournament the loser of that game. The winner, on the other hand, I'd say that if either of them get to the finals, uh, they both would have a small chance of getting in uh, without without winning the finals, though I would say... Uh, St. John's has probably like a 75% chance of getting in if they make it to the finals, but don't win the finals. And Seton Hall has more like a 90% chance because they would add a win over St. John's and a win over Villanova with maybe a loss against, let's say, Creighton. And that would give them two and one against quad one teams to end the season. That would be a pretty good look to end the year. And same thing for same thing for St. John's, except for the thing is they're just a little lower to start with, so they kind of need more help.
0: So Seton Hall and St. John's are not rooting for Marquette to beat Villanova because they need a chance at that additional... If
1: Marquette run. beats Villanova, I think it's over for them, excluding winning the champion. It's over for St. John's, excluding winning the championship, and for Seton Hall, it'd be an uphill battle.
0: All right, well, let's move over to the Big Ten, where we have nine teams in already, so you're really looking at... Two bubble teams, the 13-seeded Minnesota Golden Gophers, been in a tailspin, if we, as we've talked about, and the number 10-seeded Indiana Hoosiers.
1: Minnesota and Indiana both basically need to at least make the finals and then get a tiny amount of help. Maybe maybe not in uh, Minnesota's case, uh, but they do need the bracket to shake out well in the Big Ten they need to be beating quality teams that I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think Minnesota has any chance of beating Michigan. I don't think they have any chance of beating Ohio State. We I don't think they have, think they have. I don't think they have any chance of beating Purdue. I don't think Indiana, Indiana might even lose to Rutgers pretty simply and make this over before I even need to talk about this. They're definitely not beating Illinois, but look, on the off chance that they are able to do that, uh, Minnesota would be in the tournament at 17 and 15 if they make the finals by beating and they have to beat these teams. They have to beat Michigan and it has to be Ohio State or and it has to be Iowa or Illinois in the finals. otherwise they the, the loss in the finals would be too would not be good enough and the wins along the way would not be good enough though they do already they're guaranteed to run into Ohio State and Purdue if they even make it that far uh, before they play the winner of Michigan versus the winner of Maryland, Michigan state. So if they could get those three wins, however, I think that would be just enough, or those four wins, actually, that would be just enough going four and one in that tournament. As we say all the time, every game in the big 10 is a quad one game, excluding the game against Northwestern. So that would be three and one against quad one. That would be enough, uh, Indiana, same situation, but on the opposite side of the bracket and they have one less game to play. But the game against Northwestern, I would say, for Minnesota doesn't really help their resume. Uh, a win over Rutgers and a win over Illinois and then also a win over Iowa. And then if you say they lose to Michigan in the finals, I, I say that's enough. Even though they would only be 15-15, and 15, I would say they would be the first team to make the tournament at five hundred Because that is, it, I think it's just barely, barely enough and just enough... Quality wins. They would also have beaten Iowa three times on the year, which I would say, if you tell the committee that a team beat Iowa three times and is anywhere near 500, I think they have to say that's enough.
0: Yeah, the good news for those two teams is there's lots of opportunity to beat quality opponents. Yeah. The bad news is there's lots of quality opponents they have to get through. And to get not the win much pulled. chance of beating them because
1: yeah. they're not just quality. They are top-level quality. We're talking ones and two seeds yeah. well, in the right. tournament.
0: I think we've, we've covered the Big Ten. We really only have, two, like we said, two teams to talk about. Let's move over to the Mountain West Conference where there are three teams we'd like to discuss. Number four-seeded Boise State, number three-seeded Colorado State, and number two-seeded Utah State.
1: Uh, Boise State, Colorado State, both in the last four in, and Utah State, the first team out. Utah State and Colorado State are slated to play each other in the semifinals. If all goes, I guess, according to their plan, uh, I would say that for either, I would say that for either of them, they they need they need San Diego State to be in the final, and they need to have that quality win over one another. The loser of that game, kind of similar to Seton Hall and Saint John's, they're they're out. I think. I think the only way that one of those two gets in, the dream scenario for the Mountain West would be that Boise State would beat San Diego State and also win, and that Utah State would win the final. I think that that would mean that you get Utah State stealing the auto bid, Uh, you'd get Boise State probably somewhere in the last four in by that quality win over San Diego State. And I think Colorado State, they would need some help if they lost to Utah State, but I think they have a chance. Just just their resume is just good enough. I mean they are they are they're not the last team in the tournament. They are the fourth to last team in the tournament. So they would have to drop below a few teams, and I think a loss to Utah State who's the first team out is not an awful loss, but it, it, it might be enough to drop you below a team like Drake who has better losses in especially in their conference tournament.
0: Well, there's definitely going to be a lot of interest in that conference championship, not only for fans of those teams, but fans of other bubble teams around the country. Let's wrap it up. We'll move over to the SEC, where we've really only got one team to talk about, and that's Ole Miss, who comes in as the sixth seed in the SEC tournament.
1: Yeah, seeds one, two, three, four, five, and 7 are pretty much in. Uh, I guess there's a slight chance that maybe LSU falls down to the bubble, but I think it would require a massive unlucky streak from the other tournaments and a lot of bid stealing for them to drop out. On the other hand, we have Ole Miss, the bubble team. They play South Carolina in the first round, and then they play LSU if they win that, and then they play the winner of probably what's going to be Arkansas against Missouri. I would say, with some help, I think only a win over LSU might be enough, just depending on how other tournaments shake out, because it is a quad one win. But I think definitely if they got wins over LSU and the winner of Arkansas-Missouri, definitely, definitely if it was Arkansas that they beat, who's now won, I think, eight in a row, and by that point would have won nine in a row, that would be enough at 18-11, and which is what their record would end up as. If Alabama, say, is in the finals, I think if you lose to a top five team after beating... One top ten team and one team that's barely outside of the top twenty five. I think that's an. I think that might be enough to keep to put Ole Miss into the tournament.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March twelfth. And in that podcast, we'll have another deep dive into college basketball, including a further look at some of these conference championships, tournament championships that we've spoken about. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content including his NCAA tournament bracket predictions and his picks for next weekend's games on our website, and 24com That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.